We're toward the beginning still of Sefer Yoshua. The, the Navi begins that Moshe has passed away. Hashem speaks to Yoshua, presumably a prophetic vision. He describes the, the, the current situation. He says, Moshe has passed away. Now you, you should cross the Yardin, you, the people, to the, to the land that I'm giving you, to Eretz Yisrael, to Eretz Canaan. So, Pasuk Gimel, Pasuk Gimel that reads, Everywhere, every place that your feet shall tread, I, have, I, will have, I have given to you, Kasher dibarti al Moshe, as I have spoken to Moshe. So, Kasher dibarti al Moshe, that is a that is a clear reference, a clear callback to Chumash, and that is it, this is indeed a pasuk in in Akev. The the pasuk says, that Hashem had told Moshe explicitly in the, that that's a pasuk in in, in Parshas Akev that wherever you wherever you go, I have given that place to you. The Talmud, however, makes the, the Midrash and the Sifrei over here, and the Talmud has a has a very interesting discussion. It's uh, my first encounter with it, as many yeshiva students is is probably in Masechus Gittin. But the the Gemara in Gittin talks about the concept of kibush yachid, kibush conquest yachid of an individual, kibush yachid. It, so the, the idea here is that today imperialism. Is, uh, is a bad word. Colonialism is a bad word. Wars of choice are considered to be uh, wars of aggression of choice is considered to be a self-evident, uh, a self-evident crime. The the Talmud, the, our tradition operates within a somewhat different framework. It was considered perfectly legitimate, as the world generally did in ancient times. It was considered perfectly legitimate for a, a, a king, for a government to simply go and knock off a, a weaker neighbor and take all their stuff, take their territory, and annex, uh, that was considered the way states behaved. So certainly when, when we, the Jews, when we went into Eretz Yisrael, so obviously we, we, fought, we fought against the, the indigenous peoples, the, the Zion Amamin, the Canaanites, the Prezite, the Chitite, and so on. But beyond that, beyond the nations we were specifically commanded by God to destroy the, the, the seven nations of Canaan and the Amalek and, and certain nations we were commanded to destroy and take over Eretz Yisrael, there was also a general permission for a Jewish government, for a Jewish king in Eretz Yisrael to go and simply wage war on neighboring countries and uh, to grab more territory and to expand the borders of Eretz Yisrael. Right, exactly. So, so, so Bruce is, 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 is getting to the point that, I, that, 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 that I'm discussing now, about to discuss, and that is the notion of kibush yachid. So the, the, this is the background of kibush yachid. The idea is that it is, in general, in principle, legitimate for, for, for a Jewish king, maybe even a non-Jewish king, to simply knock off a weaker neighbor and, uh, and, and take his territory. However, the, 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 Gemara, the, the Gemara in Gittin, the Gemara says that the Gemara is discussing an area called Syria. Sounds like modern Syria, but the Gemara discusses an area called Syria. And it discusses whether it had the status of Eretz Yisrael or not with regard to Trumas and Master, to Shvius, the various other halachas. The Gemara is discussing whether this territory has the status of Eretz Yisrael or not. So the Gemara says... As Bruce was saying, the Gemara says it's machlokus. It's a it's a it's a disputed point. It says one it, it hinges on the question of whether kibush yachid shmei kibush. 
if, if you say that kibush yachid, literally that would translate to something like a private conquest. Kibush yachid is shmei kibush. Kibush yachid is considered a valid, legitimate conquest, and therefore it becomes duly annexed to Eretz Yisrael in a, from a halachic perspective. There's an, there's an opinion, there's a position, kibush yachid, lo shmei kibush, that individual conquest is problematic, is not valid, and then the territory would not have the status of Eretz Yisrael. What is kibush yachid? Again, kibush in, in general is okay. Kibush yachid is a, is a somehow problematic kibush. It's a, it's a, it's a kibush of dubious legitimacy. What, what, what's, what's the problem with it? What, 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 what's the, what, what's, what lacks, what's the deficiency of kibush yachid? So Rashi says that it's a question of whether the Jewish people did it in a communal, in a national way, as opposed to a private venture, a private military adventure by, by, uh, by, by, by one particular king or one particular uh, adventure, that's, that's Kibosh Yachid. So according to Rashi, something that the Jewish people as a whole ca- conquer, that's valid Kibosh, that becomes annexed to Eretz Yisrael, and that begets Kedusha Eretz Yisrael, something that a private person, uh, or even a king, but, but the, 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 the example Rashi gives is that the, the issue is David. David HaMelech was the one who, who, who conquered Syria, so Rashi explains what Yoshua did, what we're going to learn in the next and the rest of Sefer Yoshua, the, the conquest of Yoshua of Eretz Yisrael. That was Kibush Rabin, the whole the Jewish people behind Yoshua in an organized and uh, in an organized and nationwide way. That was a, a more a legitimate Kibush. That was fine, both with regard to the seven nations apparently and with regard to any other territory they would try to capture. But as long as it's done on a national basis, that's a valid Kibush. An individual, even the king, even David Melech. The David Lokibish El Lutzarko, if the king engages in a private military adventure, then even though he's the king, if it isn't done uh, on behalf of all of Klal Yisrael, together with all of Klal Yisrael, if it isn't done as a national thing, that's Kibush Yachid, and according to uh, at least one opinion, that does not have the status of a proper Kibush, and it does not become part of Eretz Yisrael. My policy has been, though, that if you don't get rid of the threat within your borders, and, and accept what I've given you, then you don't really have a right to uh, outside. So, 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 so Bruce is mentioning another idea that that the issue is uh, priority that you need to first that you need to first conquer the the, the area that the Torah and Sefer Yeshua is going to painstakingly define as the proper territory of Eretz Israel before you should go on auxiliary military adventures. That is really Tosus's opinion based on the Sifrei. Tosu cites the Sifrei, one of the important Midrashi Halacha, on this Pasuk in Ekev, of Kamla Kamashar Tidro Kaf Raglachem Bo Lachem the Sifrei says, what is, what, is, what is Hashem referring to here? What, what, in Ekev, in, 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 in the Sefer Shoftim, what is the, what, what is the Torah referring to here when it, when it talks about wherever you go, wherever you, wherever you conquer, wherever, wherever, wherever you go, that, that's going to be yours. If that's talking about Eretz Yisrael proper, the borders are given. We, we're going to get to that in the... The next passing, it, it says, we're going to say, Midbar, from the Balavanon, from the Midbar and, and Lebanon, Balavanon Hazev, it gives the borders of Eretz Yisrael. So, what is this general reference to wherever your feet go? According to the simple chat, it was just the first Hashem tells you in general wherever you go, then it gets more specific. But the Midrash understands, no, these are two separate things. The actual borders, that's Pasuk Dalid, that's Pasuk Dalid. And, and, and Pasuk Gimel, Parshas Ekev, wherever you go, that's something else. So what does that mean? So that means that, like I said before, wherever you conquer, even outside the designated borders of Eretz Yisrael, that is Harei Yushalachem. That is yours. Now the Midrash goes on and says, maybe you actually have permission to conquer those territories, Chutz even before you conquer Aretz, the land itself. 
So the Gemara, the Midrash says, no, you cannot do that. It says, the Pasuk says, Vireshkem Goyim Gedolim Vatsumim Mikem. First you shall conquer the, the mighty nations of Canaan. V'achrakach, then our Pasuk, there's a, this is what Bruce was saying, there, there's a requirement of, of, uh, of following, following the proper sequence of first dealing with Eretz Yisrael and then dealing with uh, any other conquest you wish to do. And Midrash explains why, the rationale for this. Shalote Eretz Yisrael metame begilulehem. We don't want Eretz Yisrael to still be defiled with the abominations, the idols of the of the pagan inhabitants, and you're going and having adventures in Chutzlarts. Rather, the required sequence is: we should tichbushu Eretz Yisrael. Once you've conquered Eretz Yisrael, as I've commanded you, then you're you're free to engage in discretionary military adventures in Chutzlarts. What happens if you violate the sequence and you first conquer Chutzlarts? Haresha kavshu Chutzlarts minayin shemitzvus nahegesham. If you do conquer Chutzlaretz, then mitzvahs do apply over there. So, so the again, the midrash actually apparently told me here if you if you do it the proper order, not 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 the improper order. If you conquer Chutzlaretz in a proper way, then mitzvahs do apply. And what happened to Syria with David Melach? David camp David conquered Aram Naharayim and Aram Sova, Syria. Syria, the Gemara calls it, and mitzvahs don't apply over there. Mitzvahs do not apply. The midrash, assume, midrash follows the view of mitzvahs don't mitzvahs that are obviously mitzvahs like fill and do. It means the mitzvahs of shemitah, the mitzvahs of the land that only apply in Eretz Yisrael, don't apply in, in these territories. David Melech conquered. So the midrash says David David did wrong. David David went against the rule of the Torah. It reiterates again. The midrash says Amra. The Torah says first conquer Eretz Yisrael, then conquer Chutzlarts. Hulo For some reason David. Made a mistake. David flouted this rule. So, so the question is: Did did didn't David consult with uh, the Urim the breastplate, the Choshen of the Kohen Gadol? In general, the Talmud makes clear that the Pesukim make clear in various places in Tanakh. The Talmud makes clear that one of the primary uses of the Urim as a kind of oracle it was largely on questions of national importance, on military military ventures in general. And we, we know there were certain cases where the Navi explicitly says, Hagishu Ha'efod, where, where David did consult with David and other leaders of Klal Yisrael, did consult with the, with the Choshen, with the Urim Vatumim, with the Ephod on certain occasions. So in this particular venture of Aram Tzova, Aram Tzova and Aram Narayim, did he consult the Urim Vatumim? Did he get, if so, what did the Urim Vatumim say? I don't know. I, I, I have to admit, I'm not actually so familiar with all the details of this particular episode. The, in general, we do find that the, in other places that sometimes the Ormatumim apparently was, was not a very uh, chatty and very uh, loquacious entity. They, they asked very specific questions. They got very specific terse answers. Sometimes if the people didn't bother asking a certain question, they took it for granted. The Ormatumim didn't always bother correcting them. They asked, you know, they asked, should we wage war? The answer was yes. Then they lost the war. They, you didn't ask if you're going to win. You just asked, should you do it? And uh, so you have to be very careful what you ask the Ormatumim. And if you you don't, and, and the Urbatum is not going to go out of its way, apparently, to provide you with uh, additional information. So, Sorry, we've also seen that um, it's up to the Kohen to properly interpret what you were saying. Right, right. So, so Yale is referring to another another pitfall in the Urbatumim that, in addition to the communication that uh, that was received from a Kohen Baruch Hu, the, it was up to the Kohen, some explain, to properly interpret it. The message itself was ambiguous. There's, Yale is referring to a famous idea attributed to the Vilna Gon that when uh, that, it, it, the, that the, the story in Shmuel, which we'll get to eventually maybe, but if we 
keep going long enough or, and or fast enough, but in the Sefer Shmuel, there's the story of Chana, the Aftari read on Rosh Hashanah. Chana was praying for a child, and the Ailey didn't understand. Her lips were moving, he didn't hear her voice, he thought she was drunk. He, re- he sharply reprimanded her. Get you know, sober up, he told her, and she said, uh, "You have uh, you have falsely accused me. I'm, I'm just uh, I'm just a miserable woman, and I'm pouring out my heart to Hashem." So he conceded. He graciously conceded. He said, "You should uh, may Hashem bless you with uh, with your heart's desire." So the there is a midrash that says that uh, the, 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 the there is a midrash that says that she told him, "You lack ruach hakodesh." That that you know, that she she, she 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 retorted to him, "You." Uh, you're a great man, but but you're lacking ruach hakodesh. So, what was the what was the issue? So the Vilna Gaon explains that Eli had apparently consulted the Urim Vatumim. What is this woman? What is going on here with this woman? And 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 the letters that lit up were were Hey Kuf Reish and Shin. The the according to some, the way the Urim Vatumim worked was that there were letters engraved on it, the, the names of the twelve tribes, and certain other words were engraved on the. Choshen and various letters, the Gemara says either they would protrude, they would kind of pop out, or they would light up. But somehow the God would, would would convey the message through the letters of the through the letters of the Choshen. So, but but the letters weren't necessarily in order. The letters were engraved in specific spots on the Choshen, and the letters it was like it was like an anagram. The the, the Kohen would have to rearrange the letters in order to understand the message. And that would require Ruach HaKodesh, and, uh, and if something went wrong, the Kohen would interpret it incorrectly. So the Vilna Gaon explains, the Vilna Gaon is said to explain that the, the, le- the letters were Hey, Kaf, Reish, and Shin. He put them together to read Shikora, Shin, Kaf, Reish, which means uh, a, a female drunk. Really, it said something else. What did it say? This is very interesting. There are, there are actually two different versions of what the Vilna Gaon said. The more popular version, which is what Arts Girl brings, for example, the more popular version of the Vilna Gaon's uh, vart is that the correct version was Kishera, Kafshin Reishe, meaning that she is a righteous woman. She's uh, a deserving and righteous woman. Right. The, the, the more... Right. The, the more, I think, the, there's another version which I think may be more correct, is, is, that, the, is that it actually said Kisara, because the, the, the Vilna Gaon explained that he brings a Midrash that says that Chana was, Chana was a, true, a true follower in the ways of the righteous matriarch. They were barren, and they prayed for a child, and Kisara, she was barren, and she prayed for a child. And then the, the Vilna Gaon goes on to say, and that's what happened over here, that the, the answer apparently was, no, she's like Sarah, she's a righteous woman who's praying for a child and deserves to get one like Sarah rather than... Uh, anyway, but, but the idea of the Vilna Gaon is that, yes, the, the Vilna Gaon says, that explaining this Gemara, that sometimes this Midrash, that sometimes the Kohen, for whatever reason, if he didn't merit the proper Ruch HaKodesh, could actually misinterpret the message of the... Of the Choshen. But either way, so the, the, the Sifrei is not exactly clear why Dovin made this mistake. Was it, was it an error? Was it a sin? It says it was Shlokator, it was wrong. Exactly why it was wrong is not entirely clear. But, the, but it brings Psukim to, to justify this. It says that he, he captured Aram Harayim and Aram Tsova before he had finished uh, expelling the indigenous people from indigenous peoples from Eretz Canaan. Pasuk says, that's a He didn't chase out the, the Yavusi. HaKash Baruch Hu was not happy with him. Near your palace, near, near Yerushalayim, near, near the capital, you haven't expelled the, 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 the enemy, the Yavusi. Well, that was one of the seven nations. So the... 
So that's so that was the that was the objection to David's kibush, and that's why, according to this approach, it didn't have the kedusha of Eretz Yisrael. That's what Tosa says. Tosa brings this in Gittin when the Gemara calls Syria Aram Narayim, Aram Soba. Even today in Syria, the the the, the, the Aram Soba is the is, is what the Syrians still call uh, still still call their country. The Syrian Jews still call it. So the. I don't know if it's necessarily clear that the exact Syria of Chazal is exactly the same thing as modern Syria, but it's, it's that part of the world. So Rashi said the problem was it wasn't a national venture, it was a private venture. Tosa says, based on the Sifrei, Tosa says the problem was something else. The problem was, as Bruce said, the problem was the sequence, the priorities, that he had conquered this, this territory before he had, uh, before he had conquered uh, all of Eretz Yisrael. And however, Tosa concludes... After you've conquered the entire land of Israel, then the, 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 the Midrash says, that's when we have the Pasuk, in Akev and Shoftim, wherever, you're, wherever you go, anywhere you conquer in Chutzlar, it's Kodesh, even Yachid, even a private kibush is okay. That uh, private doesn't matter, uh, private doesn't matter. Even if, apparently, according to Tosus and the Sifrei, even if it's national, if it's before the, the nations have been expelled from Eretz Israel, it's not legitimate and it won't have Kedusha. If it is after the, the indigenous peoples have been, have been conquered, then even a private venture gives it Kedusha of Eretz Yisrael. Again, I'll just repeat what I started with. I'm always very, uh, very, uh, I'm not sure what the right word is, puzzled. I'm not sure how to reconcile this attitude with our notions of uh, the UN Charter, that war is only uh, legitimate in self-defense, and so on. The Torah clearly doesn't have that attitude, uh, certainly not with regard to the nations that were considered evil and deserving of punishment, but even apparently in, uh, even apparently wars of, uh, just wars of, uh, ordinary wars of aggression, the, 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 the Talmud in the Sechus Brachas says, it describes David Amelech's day. So David Amelech's day begins famously with uh, a harp over his bed that the wind would blow at midnight and wake him up, and then he would study Torah and so on. Then it describes his uh, it describes his his day of statecraft and leadership. So it says that the people would come to him and they would say the economy needs uh, needs help. You know the the Jews need Parnassah. So, so David's advice to them was, okay, let's go have a war and uh, and, and 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 take over some neighbors. So go 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 raid go raid the uh, take over or raid the neighboring uh, territories. And then they would consult the Rambamim and they would consult the Sanhedrin and so on. And uh, but uh, yeah, so war as a as a means of as a tool of, uh, of economic policy was was considered apparently a normal thing. The Rambam Paskins in in the Yadachazaka, the Rambam distinguishes. There, there's a very famous distinction in halacha between. Milchemes Mitzvah and Milchemes Rishus. Milchemes Mitzvah is uh, there's a lot of argument, debate about what exactly is Milchemes Mitzvah. Certainly, to, to save Jews from uh, from an enemy who's threatening them, but Amalek. You know, there are different definitions of what exactly Milchemes Mitzvah is. But there's Milchemes Mitzvah. That's one category, and then there's Milchemes Rishus. Again, we, we consider a war of choice as an epithet. A war a, a war of choice is uh, self-evidently a moral wrong. But halacha has a category called milchemes rishus, a, a war of choice. Rambam says, what's an example of milchemes rishus? He says a war to, uh, to expand the king's territory or to uh, or expand his prominence, to, 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 to make a great name for himself, to, for, his, for his national pride. These were considered apparently legitimate reasons to wage war. Again, very, very hard to reconcile that with uh, our notions of uh, how nations ought to behave toward each other. But that—that's the way. That, that's the notion of war as it appears in the, as it appears in the, in the in the Talmud and the early sources. I'll just mention one last thing. This is really a tangent. I'll mention one last thing. 
So Halacha recognizes the notion of conquest. Conquest is a is, is typically a valid uh, is recognized as being a, a valid method of transferring uh, ownership of the enemy's property and territory to yours when you conquer him. There's a Shuvan the Radvaz in the 16th century. In the, he was a 16th century, one of the outstanding uh, Svardic postkim of the time in Egypt. He talks about a case. There were, there were Jews who lived in a certain city, and they had certain assets. They had banking concessions, whatever it was. They had certain assets, uh, whether actual banking buildings or legal concessions. They, they had certain assets involving banking in the city. And then they were... Then the, the, king, the, the local duke who was in charge uh, became angry at the Jews, so he expelled them from the city and seized all their property. Then, a, then he says there was a, uh, the pope. The pope came along and conquered the city from this duke. But today, today we, the Vatican we know has an army. We don't think of it as a major military power. It was, I think, Stalin, you know, Stalin I think, asked how many, uh, how many legions does the pope have but when, when, when someone asked him about the power of the church or something. But uh, back then, the pope, was, uh, the pope was a major player in the great game. The pope had armies, and the pope, uh, there, were, there were papal states where the pope controlled territory. So the pope conquered the territory from uh, the first duke, I think. Then a second duke came and waged war on the pope and conquered, the, conquered this, this area back for the pope. And this duke, either because he was a nice guy or because he, he knew where his economic interests lay, he allowed the Jews to return to the, to the city. And then these banking assets were once more available to the Jews. And now there was a dintara, there was a dispute between the original holders of these, uh, of these assets who wanted them back, and, there was, uh, and the new Jews who had gotten them from the government. And they said, well, you know, they, they were lost in, in all this turmoil and battle, and now they belong to us. So the Radvaz's basic principle is that the, that the, that, that the, new, the new holders of these assets win, he says, because the conquests uh, were valid methods of transferring ownership when, 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 when a military power duly invades and conquers territory, the assets belong to the victor, to the victor go the spoils, now they're his, and then, then they transferred several times, and now they ended up in the new duke, and he, and he sold them or you know, made a deal with the, with the new Jews to give it to them, and they're there. And the conquest is recognized as, a, again, a, a somewhat different worldview from the one we're used to, but that is how the... So, right. So the question is, uh, by this logic, you know, can, 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 the, can the Turks or the British or the Arabs say that you lost it in fair conquest? So first of all, if we, cap, we, cap, we capture it back, then, uh, then that's, that, 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 that's part of the same game. But you're saying, do we have a uh, halachic? Yes, Eretz Israel is treated somewhat different. There are numerous midrashim that say that God himself gives us Eretz Israel, and we have a particular uh, unique right to it, which is different. I, I don't actually know how we relate the... Well, you don't have property rights. You can't buy and sell. Yeah, so, uh, so that, 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 that is a difficult concept, which I'm not prepared to get into. It. I didn't prepare the topic exactly how we deal with, let's say, the actual real estate title that all the Jews had in the first and second temple period where, where, where all the Jews had title to the different parts of Eretz Israel and then they were all went into Golis. Exactly who owns, uh, who can, you know, when Mashiach comes, will all the original owners go back and take back, take back their titles? Will the current holders keep it? It's, that's a good question, but, I, but I'm not, uh, not going to get into that now. It, 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 hopefully we can, maybe we can discuss that on a future occasion. Although, yeah, it's an important question, but I, I'm not going to go there right now. So, so move on to the move on to another couple of sukkim. So the Pasuk says, again, we read this, wherever you, wherever you tread, wherever you conquer, Hashem said, I have given that to you, as I have said in Parshas Ekev, uh, as, as we've been discussing. 
what territory is included here. So, Mehamidvar Vahalavanon, from the Rashi explains which Midbar is this, which desert. It is Midbar Kadesh, Midbar Tzin, Shlaine Edom. It is the Midbar Kadesh and Midbar Tzin, which we find references to in the Chumash. It is the southeast portion of Eretz Yisrael. That was the point through which they entered Eretz Yisrael. They had come up from Egypt. They were in the southeast part of Eretz Yisrael. That was the desert in the, the area in the southeast of Eretz Yisrael. The, he brings the Pasuk later. Down by Edom in the southeast. That was the Midbar in question. That is the, the, that is the width of Eretz Yisrael from, the, from, 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 from south to north. The, meaning from the southeast in the bottom right corner on our map to the to to, to Naharagadol Nahar Pras on the north, people have pointed out that the we we moderns we typically draw maps with north on the top and east on the right and west on the left and south on the bottom. There's nothing inherently uh, sacred about that orientation. A map is just as valid and just as accurate if you print it with east on the top or something else. So. So, and, and people have pointed out, scholars have pointed out that when various mafarshim describe maps, that there are indications that they that, that that they used to have maps with east pointing up, either because east has special special value in the Torah, or because uh, or because the local cultures they were in. I, I think I read somewhere in the Rambam maps are typically apparently described with east going up because of, because that's how the Muslims used to draw maps, because of Mecca maybe or something like that. But whatever it is. Rashi's language here is that this is the width of Eretz Yisrael from south to north. We would probably describe that as being the length of Eretz Yisrael. It's a lot longer from south to north than it is from east to west. But uh, Rashi calls that the width of Eretz Yisrael, perhaps, again, perhaps because he had, the, he, had the, he had his map, he was looking at it from side to side, so maybe he calls that the width, I'm not sure. But Sukkim uh, go on, the Pasuk goes on, so Kol Eretz Achitim, to the Chitites, were another one of the indigenous peoples, until the until the sea where the sun sets from where the sun rises and shines rise and shine from where the sun Mizrach Shemesh is the east where the sun goes up the Ad means and where the sun sets and in biblical Hebrew Zarach means to shine meaning to rise where the sun comes up in the east as we know and all over the Torah is always the expression for for the for setting, where, where it means the that that's the west. So the pasuk here says that ad So that obviously is the is the Mediterranean, the, which is the west, which is obviously the western border of Eretz Yisrael. So Rashi says again that from east to west, Rashi calls the Rashi calls the length of Eretz Yisrael, similar to what we said before that Rachba is north south and Arka equals east west. That those are the borders of Eretz Yisrael. We're going to see later in Yeshua the borders are given. The borders of individual tribes are going to be given in, in Pashas Masa. We had this also. Borders are given in much greater detail, but this is a brief, a brief depiction of the borders. Southeast is the Midbar and the Levanon until Naragadol uh, Nahar Pras and the Eretz until the Yamagadol in the west. So that in brief, in, in summary, those are the borders of Eretz Yisrael. Translated as Euphrates or something yes. like that, but I'm just, my yeah. geography is not that good. Is that north? Or so, Pras is usually translated as the Euphrates, and uh, my geography is also not that good. And uh, maybe at some point we'll get into the 
we'll, we'll get into the details in in uh, sorry right it is I think somewhat north whether it's exactly in any place we would consider yeah. Uh Yeah. Okay. So maybe, maybe at some future point we'll get into the question of exactly whether process indeed the Euphrates, even the word sounds like Euphrates, and whether indeed the border of Eretz Israel did go into what we consider up, up to what we consider the the Euphrates. But uh, yeah, the, 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 that's an important point. Maybe we will get to that in uh, in the future. The 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 Levanon is also it's a word that, that appears very often in the in the Nevi'im, in say from Lachim, Shlomo, we talk about the Levanon. What what exactly is uh, is Levanon? So today obviously Lebanon is a country uh, a country in the north of Eretz Israel, but uh, it's not always clear in Tanakh what exactly the Levanon is. So the the, the Matudas Tzion says Levanon is Kachshem Kenshem Hayar God Levanon is a forest. Perhaps it's called that because there were trees called Livna. Uh, Yaakov Avinu Makal, uh, he talks about using Livna trees. A Livna is a kind of tree. I'm not actually sure which tree Livna is at the moment, but uh, you can look in the art scroll. But the Livanon is some kind of forest. This, this, this may not have been the, this may not have been the Livanon of, uh, that we talk about to the north of Eretz Israel. I think we might see that more in Malachim, exactly where the, exactly where the, where the, whether well, there's more than one Levanon, but in this case, at least, the Levanon is in, as Rashi explained, is apparently in the southeast of Eretz Yisrael, not the north of Eretz Yisrael. Um, good. The, the Metzitzian also says that Mavo means as I said, that in, in biblical Hebrew, so the so Bias Hashemesh is, is the, the sun comes, we say the sun sets, so that's often used. He brings a pasuk of Kiva Hashemesh. That the, the in Bereshis, in Chumash Bereshis, it says the sun sets, and the word is Kiba Shemesh. That's always the term in Tanakh. The sun setting is often refer, is referred to as referred to as uh, referred to as the Bias Hashemesh. Pasuk goes on. Pasuk Hey, Lo Hashem give Hashem blesses Yoshua. He tells him, No man will stand before you. Call you Mechayecha throughout through, for your whole life throughout your life. As I have been with Moshe, I will be with you. Lo arpacha, I will not. Uh, I will not let you loose. I will not uh, let you let you fall. Below Azveka, I will not abandon you. So he is. Uh, he is. He's, he's promising Yeshua. He's assuring Yeshua that he will. That uh, that that he'll take care of him. Will support him. Then we have a series of Tzukim now. That. So, so, so your your RF is with a, your RF is, is is right. That that would be RF Ayin Reish Pei. This this one, the Aleph is is, is means I will, and the Shoresh is. Well, uh, the, the Aleph just means I. So uh, theoretically, it could be like no no Ayin, but uh, the the the, the, the right. The the says explains it the way I. I don't know if everyone says explains it this way. The, the Matudas David says what I said. Lo etin mimeni. I will not give you, uh, you know, looseness or weakness uh, from me. I, 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 there may be someone who explains it. Or if I, I have a limited number of commentaries here in front of me, but uh, there's no wagon in the word. So the psukim then go on and they say 
and, and thrice repeated is the phrase Chazak ve'amatz. In Pasuk Vav, Pasuk Vav begins Chazak ve'amatz. Pasuk Zion says, Pasuk Zion says again, Rak Chazak ve'amatz, Ma'od. And, and then once again in Pasuk Tess, the Pasuk Tess is going to say, Hello to Visicha, Chazak ve'amatz. Al-Tarot, Al-Techatz. Three times HaKadosh Baruch Hu commands Yoshua, be strong. So, so according to Rashi, there are... So again, this is something we're going to see many, many, many times in Navi. There is a, there is a, a fundamental divide here among the commentaries. It's basically the... Here it's Rashi as well, but uh, to a large extent it's the Malbim versus many of the earlier, more traditional authorities, the Radak, Matsudas David, whether, how to approach repetition and kind of a rhythmic... Uh, you know, rhythmic phrases in the Navi, where the Navi very often one pasuk has two halves that seem to repeat themselves. In uh, in other words, uh, Yeshai is full of this. You know, certainly, many of the more poetic farm in Navi are full of uh, are full of cases where the Navi seems to say the same thing twice using different words. Uh, the poets have a word for this. Um, she has them, maybe I forget, I forget at the moment. But uh, kind of the the repetition of something in different words to make a point. The question is, does the Torah do that or not? So we know already, the Talmud already brings a discussion about Dibra Torah, Kolashim B'nai Adam, when, when we have, let's say, Kefal, when we have Pakod Yifkod, Azov Tazov, Hashev Tashiv, as all the Gemara Mabam has about two dozen examples throughout the Torah of, uh, of, of, of doubled words, and it brings a fundamental machlokis, whether we're supposed to, each one has to be darshan to be telling you some chidush, some halacha, or whether we say there's nothing, uh, there's nothing we have to, uh, we don't have to make such a big deal out of it, it's just Dibra Torah, Kolashim B'nai Adam, so that machlokis about whether, there, whether sometimes style, so to speak, literary style is a sufficient reason to explain why the Torah used more words or different words than strictly necessary is a fundamental machlokis in the Gemara. When it comes to Nevi'im, this was a major machlokis between the Malbim and between some of the more classic commentaries. The Malbim is very, very emphatic. Every word in the Navi has to be understood as having a precise meaning. If the Navi uses two different words, repeats something, and we have to, have, we have to uh, attribute a different shade of meaning to the second one. Nothing is superfluous. Nothing should be chalked up to mere style. And, and that's much of what the Malbim does in his, in his commentary, is to, is to tease out and to develop and to demonstrate all kinds of shades of meaning where, where, where words are repeated, where phrases are repeated with variations. In his Hakdama to, I think, Yeshaya, the, the Malbim actually has a whole manifesto about this where he discusses this at great length. He, he takes it as axiomatic, as, as fundamental doctrine that the Navi is not a work of literature. It can't be understood into, by these types of... Uh, every word has to have a, a concrete purpose. And that is a fundamental plank of the Malbim's, uh, of the Malbim's parashanut. The problem is, the Malbim doesn't really acknowledge this, and obviously he was writing in his time against, uh, against some of the, the modern scholars, the, those who did not take Tanakh so seriously, who thought it was just a, a human construction, and with all the flaws and uh, limitations of human works of literature. The Malbim was fighting against them, but the Malbim, I think, does not fully acknowledge that the great classic Mepharshim, the ones that we're going to be focusing on in, uh, in our study of Navi, did actually believe that it was perfectly okay to interpret the Navi as uh, in, by the use of these types of literary techniques. The Radak, uh, you, you can search for the phrase, you get one of the computer uh, databases, search for the phrase, Kefel Ha'inian B'milo Shonos, the repetition of an idea, of a theme, using different words, all over the place. The Malbim is just full, Matudas David following Malbim, as we mentioned, Matudas David is a kind of throwback to the, to the classic commentaries. 
the Radak in particular, but other commentaries as well, are just chock full of this, that, that, the, that the Navi simply, simply repeats ideas using different words for emphasis, for, uh, you know, to underscore the importance of a point, to, uh, to drive it home, to, uh, you know, for poetic reasons. So the, the Radak uh, frequently says that, we don't, frequently takes for granted, we don't have to look for kind of concrete, specific meaning every time the, the, the Navi uses a word more than once. I don't have the Radak in front of me on these psukim, I grabbed uh, I grabbed Simchas Navi this morning, which is uh, a pleasant text to use, but because it's the because it is the this is kind of the children oriented Navi, which is pleasure to read, but they cut out some of the commentaries like Radak. But Chazak um, Vamatz here again, Chazak Vamatz is repeated three times. Rashi explains that each of the three Chazak Vamatz refers to a different aspect of of Chosek, of strength. What are the three? So Rashi explains on our Pasuk and Pasuk Vav, the first Kazakh Vamatz, Bederacheretz. It means the, the way of the world. Bederacheretz is, 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 is a phrase that's overloaded in, in, in Chazal with several different meanings. It can mean respect, like, like we say, you know, have Bederacheretz. It can mean the ways of the world as opposed to ritual things, that, like as opposed to Torah and Mitzvahs and Tefillah, which Bederacheretz can often mean, uh, like, like, as we'll discuss soon or next, week, or next time we meet, the, the, the idea of about uh, in addition to learning Torah and, and, and the spiritual pursuits, Hashem wants the Jews to engage in derech eretz, which can sometimes mean that this is the famous uh, Hershey in uh, the, the German, the Hershey in Torah im derech eretz. It's also good to have derech eretz in the sense of respect and not having chutzpah, but in derech eretz in that context, in the Hersheyan context, means Torah combined with engagement with the world, engagement in your careers, and, uh, and living in the world that we have, not just sequestering yourself in, uh, in a religious context. That's, that's apparently what it means here, that Chazak Vemat and derech eretz in leadership, you're, you're in charge, you're, run, you're, you're leading a nation, so you have to have, you have, to have the strength to, uh, to lead. You're going to bring the, the Pasuk goes on. Be strong because you're going to bring the people in and uh, give them their inheritance in Eretz Canaan. So you're going to be, you know, the government is complicated. There's a lot of things that, there are a lot of things that have to be done. So be a, be a strong and, uh, be a strong and kind of effective governor. That's the first Chazak Vemats. The second Chazak Vemats in Pasuk Zion this is the second Chazak Vemats. This one, Rashi points out, it says, Chazak Vemats what? To, to fulfill the Torah. This is the religious. The first Pasuk was Derech Eretz. The Pasuk says, So Rashi here is, this is not some kind of Midrash. Rashi is explaining this very much in terms of the Sukkim themselves. The first Chazak Vemats is what? Is as a leader, as a governor, as the as the as as the leader of the people to be an effective and effective and strong leader. The second pasuk is to keep the Torah, the to keep the entire Torah that Moshe, my servant, has commanded you. Do not deviate from the Torah to the right or the left. If you do this, by keeping the Torah, you'll be successful. The word, the word taskil, we usually use the word seichel today to mean uh, intellect, to mean understanding. But it also has another meaning in Tanakh, and sometimes used to mean, to mean to be successful. Matsudah Sion says, Inyan Hatzlacha, 
Vayid David L'chol Drachav Maskil, and Sefer Shmuel, it says David was Maskil, which again, it means he was, he was, he was successful, he was, he was effective in what he did. So the, the Maturus Sion relates these two meanings of Seichel. He says that what's the connection between Seichel in the sense of intellect and Seichel in the sense of success, because when people are successful, people say, oh, he must be doing things in a calculated and, uh, and uh, you know, planned and intellectually deliberate way. Yes and no, I guess. You know, we, we all know people we can point to who are quite successful, who we, we don't see as paragons of intellectuality and uh, incisive philosophers and brilliant thinkers. And success is uh, not always, uh, not, not, not always uh, attributable to, uh, to intellect, but in general... I guess it's a general belief, apparently, that people who are successful are those who are, uh, those who are exhibiting seichel. So again, there's lots of kinds of seichel. There's, there's academic seichel to study books, mathematics and philosophy or literature. There's seichel in the sense of business seichel. There are people who are, there are people, you know, Warren Buffett is a legendary investor and businessman. Is he a great philosopher? Is he a great, would he be a great mathematician? I don't know. There's different kinds of seichel, obviously. So there's, uh, you know, the, Always refer to horse sense. Horse sense, right? The, the a sense of knowing a horse, choosing a horse. I guess. No, no. Being a horse isn't going to go where. Oh, a, a horse and knows what's good for it. Even though a horse is not a doesn't have, not have a high IQ, the horse uh, the horse has an animal instinct kind of to know what. He's not going to jump off the cliff. Right. So that that kind of okay. Horse sense. Yes. Yeah, so the, the different kinds of seichel, but I'll call upon him. It, it, it is pretty clear. The Matsuda Sion's first point is that the word. Uh, to, to be masculine can often mean in, in, can, can mean in Tanakh sometimes to be successful, and he suggests it's related to seichel because success, at least sometimes, is attendant on seichel. So that's the second chazak v'emats. That the second chazak v'emats is that be strong in keeping the Torah and religious obligations. We'll skip pasuk tes for the moment. Just take a quick preview at pasuk tes. Hello to chazak v'emats. Once again, Hashem reiterates, "Have I not commanded you chazak v'emats?" This time, the pasuk goes on al tarots v'al techas. Do not. Do not break. You know, keep your morale strong, and do not uh, do not become terrified of the enemy. Because Hashem, your God, is with you. This one, Rashi explains logically enough, means be strong in war. That, that this is another kind of strong, strong as a, in, strong in government, strong in religious uh, practice and leadership, and strong in war. The pasuk says, What does he mean when he says hello Pasik says, I have commanded you to be strong. So again, if you understand that all these three chazak matches are really the same thing, he means I just commanded you twice, now I'm commanding you again, Tibisika. Rashi learns these are three separate, as the Tsukim indicates, these are three separate commandments, three separate types of strong, strong in leadership, strong in Torah, strong in war. Where does he where so then where have I told you to be strong in war? That's all over Khumishvarim, Bime Moshe. So throughout Chumash Dvarim, the, the, the Hashem says, Al Tartu, Val Techasu. Throughout Chumash Dvarim, the, the, the Hashem repeatedly says to the Jewish people, You're going to fight some uh, very imposing, very daunting enemies. Do not be afraid. I'm, I'm with you. Have me tachan that I will save you and I will, I, I will grant you victory. But specifically, Rashi mentions Yoshua himself was commanded by Yitzhavis Yoshua ben Nun. Yoshua himself is commanded to be strong toward the end of Dvarim. That's the command that the, the Moshe, that, that Moshe commanded Yeshua, Hashem commanded Yeshua, that he should be strong in the in war. And so remember that commandment from Chumash Dvarim and be strong. So according to Rashi, the, and again, it, 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 it quite it quite uh, it reads very well into the Pesukim. These were the three commands of Chazak ve'amatz to Yeshua: be strong in government and leadership, be strong in Torah and mitzvahs, be strong in war, and Hashem will be with you. We skip Pasuk Ches. 
Pasuches is a, there is a lot, a great deal to say about Pasuches. Pasuches is a very famous Pasuk. In between the, the Chazak 1 and 2 and 3, Hashem says, right, right after the second Chazak, which Rashi says meant to do the Torah and Mitzvahs, the Pasuk says, Pasuches says, Lo yomush sefer Torah zemi picha. The Sefer Torah should not depart from your mouth. You shall study Torah day and night. You should, uh, the word Hagisa means to speak. Lashoni um, Tege, he says, Hagisa means uh, you, you should speak about Torah. Sometimes it means to think. Hagus Libi. So the, the word Hege, Hagus, is, is a word that means some kind of uh, verbalizing something, whether, whether verbalizing it with your mouth or think, thinking, uh, having uh, concrete thoughts in your head. So, you should do this in order to keep everything in the Torah. By doing this, by studying the Torah constantly, you will be successful in all your ways. Again, again, Taskil is a language of success. So, study the Torah constantly, and then you will be, and then you'll know what to do. You'll keep the Torah, you'll be successful. This Pasuk of this is one of the most explicit and most famous exhortations to study Torah. It's very, very ironic that learning Torah is one of the greatest mitzvahs, one of the most important things that we have, Talmud Torah connected kulam, in, in the Torah, in, in, in Judaism. Yet, the, the, throughout Chumash, the, the, the language of the Torah is not very clear about a mitzvah to study Torah. We say in Kriyashma, you should teach these things to your children, you should speak in them, which is, which is understood sometimes to mean, uh, again, it's referring to Kriyashma also, but it's referring to the studying Torah. But this pasuk of, of the, the, the Torah should never depart from your mouth and you should study Torah day and night, this is pretty much the most explicit, the most uh, expansive description of the mitzvah to study Torah. It's kind of odd that it's in Sefer Yoshua rather than being in the Chumash itself. But, I don't know, sometimes that's how these things go. That this Pasuk is the, this pasuk is, is the most explicit Pasuk about studying Torah. And next time, sorry? It's a new generation. Right, it's a new generation. So maybe the need to... Uh, when God said to Moshe, that Bernie Bush, don't be afraid because I will be with you. It was also repeated to the people when they left Egypt. But it has not yet been said, I don't think it had yet been said to the, the last generation of the, the second generation. Okay. Right, so, so some of these injunctions, as, as we see, as the Nubi keeps saying, as I commanded you, so we know this, I've said this before, but it's a new generation, he's reminding them. That Kasher di Barti al Moshe about Kalmach Moshe Tidrakaf Ragalachem, and here we have again, we have uh, here we have again Halotzibisicha, which is again a callback to uh, callback to Chumash Dvarim. Throughout this throughout this whole first section, there are there are numerous references to the Torah we had earlier. You should you should you should keep the whole Torah. Asher Tzivcha Moshe Avdi. The Torah is not something new. The Torah is what I have been com- what I have commanded Moshe, my servant. Um, there also it says another thing we'll discuss hopefully in a, in a, in a future uh, future meeting it says that keep the whole Torah do not deviate for, do not diverge from the path of the Torah to the right or the left this is also of course a famous uh, a callback to a famous Pasuk in Parshas Parsha Shoftim about it says that, that, that when you have questions you should bring them to the 
you said that you, you should bring them to the Sanhedrin, and he's, it's Alpia Teresha Yerucha. You should, wherever they teach you, Vasisa, you should do as they teach you. You should follow the, the follow the guidance of the Sanhedrin. Los Yasser Yemenu Small. There also it says that you should not uh, you should not deviate from their from their guidance. Yemenu Small. Hopefully, we'll discuss in a in a future share as well what that means. What 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 does Yemenu Small mean? This is the subject of a famous controversy in the 20th century. That there are different midrashim. Some, 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 in some versions, Chazal say even the more popular version is the better known version is even if they tell you Yamin shu small small shu yamin, even if it's even if it seems completely backward to you, you should do it anyway. There's another version of the midrash though that says no, only if they tell you Yamin shu yamin small shu small, they have no authority to tell you to do things that are black and white wrong. And hopefully, we'll discuss that in a. In a on a future occasion as well. So these are the two things that we're going to have to return to this this idea of yaminu small and also pasaches the, the great pasaches the, the commandment to Torah shouldn't shouldn't uh, shouldn't leave you and study Torah day and night. What exactly does that mean? How much of the day? How much of the night? Can I do other things as well? So these so, so, so these are two important very important points which we'll return to in a future class.